Coast to Coast Combat Hour. Ed Carball here with Matt Hawkins, as always. Just so you guys know, we're pre-recording this earlier on Sunday, uh, the week before uh, Bellator 231 and 232 and the uh, UFC uh, in Singapore, right, Matt? Is it Singapore? Yes. Okay. Uh, yes, in Singapore. Yes, yeah, so we're pre-recording this on the Sunday before just because I'm actually going to be covering uh, Bellator in Connecticut so I'll be on the road for the media stuff this week. Um, but um, a lot of stuff happened. Interestingly enough, I completely forgot after we were done recording uh, last week, um, something that uh, I just read. I, re- I saw the alert for it, and I caught it 15 minutes late, but I wound up watching the whole hour-and-a-half piece, ESPN's 30 for 30 on Chuck and Tito, and, and it, it covers a time in MMA that uh, – not for nothing. I mean, Matt and you, you and I usually go back and, and talk about it a lot. So I, I know you said you hadn't had a chance to watch it, but it's not like you don't know all the stuff that was featured in it already. I mean, you probably have some posters in the back or there's definitely stuff in your collection. I know you have a Chuck Liddell bleacher creature. So uh... Got the bleacher creature. And I saw the, I saw their glorious third fight uh, for uh for, for uh, Golden Boy. So, yeah, I mean, I li- we lived we both lived that era as fans. Um, and I was obviously for me, especially those guys were both Southern California fighters. So they were big time on the radar out here on the West Coast. But, um, yeah, I, I just been busy last three or four days. I uh, did some family stuff, went up to San Francisco, went to uh, Phil Collins concert, ended up going to the Lakers Golden State preseason basketball game. So I just had to take care of some other uh, stuff family wise. But, uh yeah, I look forward to watching it. Um, I did see a couple interesting takes on it, but I'm kind of curious uh, what your opinion is of somebody who, who saw the majority of the show. So, I mean, I thought it was great. I mean, it was definitely – it was so, it, it's something that after I watched it on Tuesday night, it stuck with me so uh, long after that I submitted an article over to SureDog about how it, it's, it should be required. You know how they say there's required reading for certain things. This is definitely required viewing for – Especially people that are just coming in, you know, people coming in on the Conor era or the Ronda Rousey era, you know, of the sport just to see um, the focus is really, I mean, the focus is obviously on them and, and it really goes, it takes you all the way through the beginning of their rivalry, all the way through everything we know about right up until the event that you went to. And so there's some behind the scenes stuff uh, for the, uh, the their third fight with under the Golden Boy thing. And um, I mean, it just... It's it's about rivalries and how they're how 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 much they matter in um, building not just the marketing but uh, you know building the business of uh, combat sports and mixed martial arts in the UFC and um, you know they do focus on how Liddell and Ortiz were friends and how that kind of like went away because of uh, uh, everything that happened but um, you know they they obviously and I, I guess you saw this is what you read about or saw but. Ortiz saying that it was kind of like lopsided and making him look bad. Um, I don't know. Is that what you saw? Or I, I saw a little bit of that, but I expected that um, the the history of the UFC is basically written by the UFC, and uh, obviously, and it's basically written by Dana White. And Dana White uh, obviously has his issues with uh, Tito Ortiz, mm-hmm. considering this was an ESPN production and UFC is in. Uh, full swing uh, partnership with the UFC. I expected nothing more than a bit of a propaganda piece uh, as far as it being 
uh, swayed towards Liddell as Liddell is obviously more favored uh, mm-hmm. by the UFC brass and, and, and their fan base for, for the most part. Uh, and I think a lot of the history, even before, like I said, I haven't watched this, but just the general history of the sport has, uh, there's been a little bit swayed against uh, Ortiz due to his antics and some of the stuff he's come out and said about uh, white and uh, he never really said anything bad about the Fertitas. In fact, he, he praised them quite a bit. So it's always been about Dana White. And if Dana White, uh, from what I saw, he got to see the kind of see the final take of this and, and do the final little editing on it. So there was no doubt in my mind that it was going to be try to make uh, Ortiz look uh, a tad worse than, than the situations uh, actually were like. Um, for instance, I know that, you know, I, I think I saw a quote from Dana White saying something about how uh, Ortiz did everything possible to try to duck Liddell. That's that's a take. And perhaps he was ducking Liddell, but was he? I don't think he was ducking Liddell because he was afraid to fight Liddell. I mean, he fought him three times when it was all said and done. I think he was ducking Liddell because he didn't want to fight him for five thousand dollars, you know, uh, at a time when Tito Ortiz was was the UFC. Liddell needed Ortiz essentially to become Chuck Liddell. Uh, Ortiz was was still the, the Huntington Beach bad boy in the face of UFC. He was the cover of all the video games. He headlined yeah. like, you know, seven out of 10 events or something like that. Uh, you know, it, it, he, he didn't need Liddell where Liddell, Liddell needed him. And, and Tito was in a time where he was fighting heavy for money. And, and it was at a time when guys like BJ Penn and uh, Randy Couture and some of those guys were actually leaving the UFC or attempting to leave the UFC in uh, in Couture's case uh, in, a, in attempts to get more money. So was he ducking him perhaps as far as uh, he, he didn't want that fight at that time for that money when he could fight guys. Uh, perhaps he thought he had a better chance against like uh, uh, Belfour, uh, you know, as you know, he had Belfour signed up for like three fights, obviously Shamrock. Uh, I don't think he ever had any real fear of Shamrock, although that first Shamrock, uh, Tito fight. A lot of people thought Shamrock would win that fight, including myself at, at the time. I thought, uh, you know, I was living off the nostalgia a little bit, even back then from the early uh, No Holds Barred Ken Shamrock and uh, the yeah. heavyweight Ken Shamrock per se. But yeah, no, everything else I've seen, it's, it's, it's been a lot of praise on it. Um, I'll tell you. That jumped out of you. Yeah. You? Well, one of the things that, that I like, so like I said, I mean, it, it was after we recorded last week's episode. So when I tuned in, um, it had already started, and they were talking. I mean, it was just the beginning, so they were talking about the beginnings and and how uh, you know the titles came to be or, or whatever. But I just found it odd how when uh, like they're talking about how when the UFC uh, got bought from SEG Sports by the Fertitas, you know, when they're telling that story, um, I thought it was kind of messed up actually. Tito Ortiz gave Dana White a little praise about his negotiating tactics, and even said after he. Him because you know he used to be his manager. He was like, you know, I I witnessed him do work broker a deal for me in a take it or leave it type of attitude, and and that's what I've done with my career after I saw it. So he was actually you know thanking him for showing him how to negotiate his own success. And then as the, as the thing went on, I mean, I mean Dana White was not kind to Tito Ortiz. I mean, he flat out calls him dumb in in uh, like the latter half of it. You know, just as far as like talking to him and things like that. And I was just like, you know, I mean, I know everybody makes fun of Tito Ortiz and all that stuff. Now and makes memes jokes out of, uh, you know, some of the things, the things he says when he's worked up, you know, trying to sell fights and stuff. But I was just like, Jesus, man, the guys, 
the guy seems to have tried to bury the hatchet with him a few times in the past uh, in interviews. And Dana White is just like not even trying to like <laughs> not even trying to get past anything. The, so. That's the thing. I mean, uh, I, I'm beyond trying to defend the UFC at certain points. I mean, we we both love the UFC. We love the, the sport of MMA. But Dana White's just full of shit. I mean, that's just straight up what it is. He uh, he has no problems defending drug cheats. He has no problems defending criminals. He has no problems defending wife beaters. Tito Ortiz has, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm forgetting anything, but I don't recall him ever breaking the law as far as what anything we know. He never tested positive for any drugs in his hundreds of tests he took for the UFC uh, and Bellator. I don't recall him ever being accused of cheating he's been accused of cheating by by keyboard warriors but he's been tested more as much as any athlete in the history of this sport uh he started one of the first uh businesses by a fighter punishment uh athletics uh which at the time used they used to sell at ufc events you would actually buy tito ortiz gear in the arenas uh for for his ufc events and they still did that for his bellator fights um he he's known around here for for his help with the military. Uh, he does a ton of bunch of charitable work. Um, I know he, I believe he helps coach his kids uh, wrestling teams. I mean, I just don't. We can all make fun of stuff he said in the past, but I don't think he's a bad guy. I've always said he's one of the best guys uh, ever to the fans. On, on the Ultimate Fighter, he was only praised as being a great coach. Um, it, it just it's just Dana White being Dana White and Dana White is one of the biggest, you know, assholes in the history of MMA. And, and that's just what it is. And I don't, you know, Dana White does what he does. He makes a ton of money and he, he's fairly good at what he does, but I, to, to bash Tito and call him stupid and stuff like that is just, you know, let's be serious here. Uh, Tito Ortiz made all of his money off of his athletic ability and his, and his, thought process as far as how he could market himself dana white made all of his money because he had some rich friends so uh let's just let's just call it for yeah. what it is i mean i hate to say I mean, it but that it just bugs me when when yeah i think put uh, ortiz, out there like i think like ortiz that. alluded to that too in one of the because obviously they did a lot of interviews uh both him and liddell they did a lot of interviews um i forget the name of the uh one of the espn talking head shows that they were on that week to promote it. But Ortiz alluded to what you just said as far as like, you know, how the UFC came to be and, you know, having friends with, with money. But, um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, and as for Dana White, I mean, it, it, uh, you kind of have to, if you kind of have to, I hate to say it because I, but uh, being here in the Northeast and knowing a few and, and just seeing enough people uh, that, that are in business out here i mean he's from boston um that's one of the just one of the attitudes that you know make people successful in, in in their ventures like that it sucks it's not advisable i definitely prefer uh nicer dudes and and being kinder i think kindness can give you the same rewards it just takes longer but you know it is what it is but um the last thing i, I want to say about uh the 30 for 30 which which uh compelled me to write about it was um i mean uh when you when you take all that out when you take the the, the ortiz and and liddell out and you take out the uh 
you know, all, all the personal beefs and, and they do delve into like their personal lives, some st- personal stuff on Liddell, personal stuff on Ortiz. Um, so actually there's some stuff on Liddell I didn't know. So, um, you know, hopefully when you get to watch it, you, you, you'll shoot me a text or whatever and let me know what you think. But um, the uh, it just one of the things that they close it with is how rivalries of their kind are became the 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 model. I mean, even with all the trash talk that they did against each other, and, and you know, even the, in like it was all I'm gonna be I'm I'm gonna best you in the cage, and you you know it was just different versions of things like that that were said. Nobody was ever attacked and doing any personal attacks and you know, or religious attacks or anything like that. So they definitely started it and did it the right way in a way that was just good enough to get people interested in the sport. And that's where the money came from, which is why I think it's just something that folks need to see. I mean, it doesn't, things don't go, have to go as far as Connor and Khabib's beef, you know? Um, Yeah. That's what kind of bothers me too. I mean, uh, white, white will go after guys like Ortiz for the way he did stuff, but he has no problem promoting, uh, some of this current day nonsense that we see in the fights. One thing I did notice: Did you see the um, interaction between Big John McCarthy and Ariel Hawani on Twitter by chance? I read about it. I didn't see it, but I did read the aftermath of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ariel Hawani was on the the show apparently, and he's quoted as um, selling the 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 fake story, fake news of that when yeah. the UFC was bought. Uh, by by Zufa that they ran towards uh, regulation, regulation and yeah. created rules and and everything and um, I was glad to see John McCarthy call out Ariel and uh, basically call him uh, you know essentially say you were in college you know trying to get a degree when I was in court trying to save the sport yeah. um, anybody who was around back then knows the UFC was working hard with the uh, New Jersey Athletic Commission and Larry Hazard out there to mm-hmm. uh to create rules, create uh, basically all the modern rules that we have now were created before the U- uh, Zufa ever bought the UFC. Um, this very, very little has changed. I, I, off the top of my head, I really can't think of anything that's changed um, from say like UFC 29 to UFC. Uh, what was it? 30 or 31. When, when, uh, when Zufa took over uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that that's just always been a lie. It's been something to try to make the, the UFC sound like they they saved the sport. And um, perhaps the UFC wouldn't be where it is, but I don't think the sport was going anywhere at that time um, because of what we had we had seen. And there was a lot of shenanigans that were involved with not allowing the previous owners to have regulation in Nevada uh, due to guys like Mark Ratner um, and the Fertitas who did their best to uh, – seem like they blocked uh, the old owners. Uh, and then the minute uh, the Fertitas bought the company, all of a sudden they hired Mark Ratner. Ratner was approving all their stuff. Stuff was going to vote. Yeah. So <laughs> there was a lot of uh, mafia style tactics and stuff going on. Um, but as it turned out, obviously the Fertitas were, were good for the UFC and were good for MMA. And, it, and as we sit here now, it's kind of a shame that they're still not owning the UFC. Um, yeah. Because That's funny. Yeah, no, no, you're right, man. I, I agree with you. But uh, you know, it's funny that you're mentioning Mark Ragnar and the regulation thing because of the. I mean, that actually moves us forward to to current times with this past weekend in Boston. And uh, I know you said you uh, didn't catch everything because you were you were uh, you were out Susu Studio 
uh, <laughs> or, or whatever you were doing. No, but uh, I, I, I actually caught the main card only. I say, actually have the prelims. I still have to watch them. But the, the main card of the Boston event um, on Friday night, I had, I had my own training. I did, and I just got home in time for that. And um, the, uh, did you uh, catch anything about the, the whole inhaler gate with Greg Hardy? Mark Ratner actually chimed in on that during the broadcast. So I caught that actually after uh, on Twitter. I, I saw that, and uh, you know, I, I don't even really know what to say on the situation. Uh, obviously, Hardy's newer to the sport of MMA, but his corner's you know, not. <laughs> his corner's not. That's what yeah. threw me off the most. Having a, a Dean Thomas in his corner, um, a guy who's been around the sport for uh, what twenty five years. Um, to have him be so uh, nonchalant about the situation, I found crazy. Um, I did see video of Hardy asking the commissioner if he could use it. So that, you know, I, I mean, I, obviously... I think it was a commission representative. I don't think it was a commissioner, but that's what they. That's but, OK, what they... but he was a commission, but he was yeah, there. Yeah, he yeah. was there representing the commission. I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't he, he would have told him if yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm not trying to. to plus the bame too much around but it seems like there's a lot of people to blame in this situation and uh and i don't know it's just it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just it was... it's hilarious i mean you know so... I, I, the, the hardy situation is really weird i if he's a good fighter i'd like to see him fight i i know people like to go off on it on a lot of his past and i'm not trying to brush that to the side but I'm watching the sport to find out who the best fighters in the world are. And if he's a good heavyweight fighter, it sounds to me like he kind of met his match in this fight a little bit, mm. um, got gassed out. And then, and then obviously the thing that took an inhaler, uh, but, and I saw your tweets about it, that you use the kind of the same thing, but you only I, need yeah. it, you know, once every four months or something like that, where he needs it apparently needed it right in the middle of a fight. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, he said, you know, they, so I watched the post fight presser and he's like, he says, I take it every day. I've been taking it every day as long as I've been an athlete. And I mean, uh, it even says on the, pres my prescription anyway, I mean, maybe he's different. I don't know. I'm not trying to defend the guy, but I mean, I, uh, when I'm usually when my weight is over 200 or heavier, I, I, I get exercise induced asthma. So the worst thing that can happen, because this is how I found out about it when I was over, I, I mean, years ago, I tore my groin. I I've always had asthma, just so you know, since I was a kid. Um, when I got athletic as a teenager, I, I shook it off. I was good for, you know, well into my 30s. And then uh, when I tore my groin, put on weight, asthma came back. And um, in trying to keep it fit and stuff and lose the weight, that's when I started having exercise-induced asthma attacks. So the worst thing that can happen, this is how I found out I needed the albuterol, which is the inhaler that he took. Um, he, say, he names it in the post-fight press conference, albuterol. It's the same thing I take. And he says, uh, I take it every day. That's a, for me, that's an as-needed thing. And uh, the worst thing that can happen, somebody else chimed in on that tweet that I posted the following morning, um, too, uh, was that... Um, so the worst thing that happens is your lungs will start to bleed when you when you have trouble breathing. Um, he was he took it. Uh, you know, there was the three rounder. I think that was between rounds of two and three that he took it. And uh, if he he was winning the fight anyway, if he went the rest of it, the worst thing that would have happened is he would have been coughing. His he would his throat would have been very dry, and um, he would have had he would have been coughing up a lot. There would have been some blood in his uh, in the in the sputum that comes out of his lungs to make it look 
pink, not blood like, you know, a fucking horror movie. So that's the worst thing that could happen. And somebody's comment to that was then it should have been treated like the way, I mean, like when you, if a cut happens, they let them finish the fight. They don't stitch it up until the fight is over. So in the case of his inhaler, he could have taken his inhaler when the fight was over. You know what I mean? Um, not in between rounds. So that was definitely, and I'm not going to lie when I take it. I mean, I, I took I, funny thing is I took it Friday night too. I had to take mine of the four times I mentioned on Twitter. I had to take it Friday night when I was hitting a heavy bag to do, get some cardio in. And, um, uh, I was spitting up, so I took it. And then I went another two rounds <laughs> because I took it, you know, my lungs opened up. I was breathing better. So it definitely helps, but it, I mean, it only ha- enhances breathing when your breathing is really bad. Again, I'm not defending the guy or anything like that, but, uh, you know, like they say, uh, uh, Sergio Da Silva, he and I go back and forth a lot on Twitter. Friendly, we always talk fights and pizza and shit like that because he's uh, out here in the Northeast too. And he even said, like, asked me what my opinion was, and I was like, as far as I know, water is all you can bring with you, and that's it. So the fact that he uh, he did that, I mean, even even Dana White was a little in shock because, you know, Din Thomas is on his show. And Dana White even said he went up to Din Thomas and was like, what are you guys doing? Like, and Mark Ratner was just like, he, you could tell he didn't know what else to say, but he knew he had to address it during the broadcast. They were waiting for him. Even Daniel Cormier was like, did he respond? I don't think we heard him respond. And Mark Ratner was just like completely illegal. Like he said, he had, he had to admit the truth. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, that was interesting. So <laughs> then the, um, the co-main event of that night was the rematch between Yari Rodriguez and Stevens uh, from the fight that ended uh, prematurely, what, three weeks ago or so in Mexico City. Now, I was in the um, the Chase Center there in, in, uh, in San Francisco watching a, the Lakers-Golden State preseason game. So I tried to watch it on my phone. Um, maybe I missed something. Um, and I'm going to need you to help fill this in. So mm-hmm. the first round um, was pretty much all stand-up. If I remember yeah. correctly, the phone was going into a little bit. Uh, you, yeah, probably won the round. A little yeah. more flashy, a little bit harder strikes, right? Yeah. What happened in the second round? I tuned into the second round. I feel like with like a minute and a half, two minutes left, and I feel like Stevens was on top, landing elbows and stuff uh, inside Yaru's guard. Is that is that not yeah. what happened? Yeah. No, I mean, uh, uh, early in the fight, overall, I mean, yeah, there's a point. I think it was early in the. Uh, no, it was towards the fir- end of the first round where he landed, or maybe mid mid round of the second round. But he landed a liver. Ki- uh, no, it was his first round because he landed a, a liver kick that it looked like killed Stevens over. But not many people take a, a liver kick, eat it, and continue to fight like that. And Stevens like survived the barrage, and somehow he he was able to scramble and turn over uh, Rodriguez. And 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 as the fight went on, I mean, uh, like. Uh, even Dana White admitted it at the post-fight press conference that should have been the main event because I feel like if if that was a five-round fight, Stevens could could have uh, dragged uh, Rodriguez into deep water where um, he he couldn't have taken it anymore. Because in the third round, Stevens pretty much dominated the third yeah. round, right? Had him down yeah. the whole time, beating the hell out of him on the ground. Yeah, yeah, and it was it wasn't uh you know it it, it it he was just making it an ugly fight. I mean, I I thought it was fantastic. I mean. I, uh, you know, Stevens usually gets a lot of, you know, f- people poke fun at him because he's the who the fuck is that guy uh, from that whole incident. But after this fight, it's like, you know, this dude is uh, this dude's a banger. I, I, w- I wouldn't mind seeing that fight again. So basically, the judges gave round one to Yair, Yair and round two to him. 
they said the da- the damage was done prior to Stevens taking over the fight yeah. for the last seven minutes of the fight or so, roughly. Yeah. So the first three minutes of the second round is what I must have missed then. So that's what threw me off because I watched the you know, I, I watched the first round and then I watched the second half of the second round and the third round and I turned my phone off uh, to save some power to try to watch the main event. And then when I went on Twitter, I saw that Yared won the decision. That kind of mm-hmm. threw me off a little bit because I, I thought from what I saw, I, I saw Stevens winning. So, OK, <laughs> yeah. that, that, yeah. that explains it then if the liver kick. I didn't see that highlight of that. Yeah, um, I just didn't know what actual damage was done. So, yeah, no, was that, that. That, that was a strong kick. If you watch it, you'll see. He he winces and he goes down and usually the the fight is over there uh-huh. and uh, the fact that he was able to turtle up and and then spin back around and try to replace guard I mean that 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 dude is tougher than we we thought. Okay, so it was an even fight though. It sounds it sounds like yeah. a fairly even yeah. fight. A little bit of a, a a tilt in the in the second round for Yair is what led yeah. to the decision. Okay, that yeah. makes sense then. And, uh, you know, I don't think both guys, either guys, lose any ground in that. I think Yair. I, I mean, I think they're pretty much in the same spot they were before the fight. Um, yeah. Yair obviously has an issue still with the ground game. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I would say Stevens' stock went up though, even though he in a loss, it's rare a fighter's stock goes up. And for Stevens, I I think uh, I'm definitely I'm definitely a fan of that guy now. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody, I don't think any serious people really ever thought he would be a world champion. Um, I think he's just kind of falling into that spot where he can make some good money doing some exciting fights. And if he plays his, his cards right, he can make a lot of money um, and, and do some exciting fights. So, so there goes that. Um, and then there was the main event. I did catch the main event, Dominic Reyes, Chris Weidman. Yeah. Uh, Bums me out. I'm a huge Weidman fan. Yeah. Uh, I feel like his uh, management's kind of letting him down a tad uh, with a fight like this. But uh, but Reyes ends up getting the uh, TKO KO finish, really. I mean, Weidman was basically out uh, after dropping him with a uh, left cross and then, and then some hammer fists on the ground. Um, not really a whole lot to talk about in that fight so much. Weidman tried some early takedowns. In fact, I think he even got Reyes down initially for matter of moments um i don't know uh the only thing that really bugs me about this is kind of the uh the aftermath is is and i've said it before that mma fans are just terrible and maybe that's not the best thing to say on an mma podcast but yeah the fact the way we tear down our fighters and tear down people and and go through like their you know, it's like revisionist history on their on their records and stuff. So, I, the amount of people I see calling Weidman a bum and overrated, and you know, but the same people who call Weidman overrated and a bum are calling for Reyes to get a title shot. Hmm. I'm going, well, how does that work? If if Weidman's no good, then why does Reyes gain any ground beating somebody that's no good? So it's just it's never ended. It's been in this sport since since day one. I you know, we've always waited for people to uh to fall and then we go back and we try to break down you know well when i hear somebody say he almost lost to vitor Belfort, i mean jesus that was that fight five years ago i i don't remember one second of that fight vitor Belfort won i thought weidman pretty much dominated the fight i believe he finished him in the first round maybe in the second round so it's just stuff like that all of a sudden people start spouting you know nonsense and uh but it is tough for weidman I, there's no there's no doubt about that. Uh, his career's taken a weird turn. He's had some tough losses. I mean, he was winning the Romero fight, and I believe he was even possibly up on the Jacare fight um, before being before being knocked out in those fights. And then obviously he had that bloodbath uh, fight of the year candidate uh, with uh, Rockholt that kind yeah. of uh, kind of set the stage for 
for the downturn on his career. I mean, it's actually been the downturn on both of those guys' career, uh, really. Um, neither have been the same, and you wonder if that fight just kind of took, I don't want to say the life out of them, but took the uh, took some years off of their fighting career in that fight. Uh, for well, those who don't remember, that was a back-and-forth uh yeah, I mean, the longer guys like, I mean, I mean, he's been in it for a while, too, guys like him and Frankie Edgar and, you know, a lot of fighters that, that, that we know from, from being in the sport a long time. I mean, they, they, they're taking years off every time they step in there and, and do wars like that. Um, and um, but uh, and I, I know I've written about this more, more times than not, but, um, you know, when it comes to guys and telling people to hang it up, I mean, you, you can't tell somebody that's passionate about especially in combat sports when they literally give up everything else they give up the time and and i mean they're not into tv shows or anything you know they give up some of them give up going to school or even pursuing anything else to pursue this dream of being a professional fighter and making it to the level that weidman did um you know they're gonna they're gonna sacrifice uh some some of some of their own uh you know the their longevity in the sport, but you can't say that it's time for him, especially he, he just, he said at the end, you know, I'm not done. And I don't think he's done either. I, th- I mean, it was his first fight at two Oh five. He's been out a little while. I mean, he had neck surgery that he had to get over to that, that, that changes the way people, but uh, I mean, he still, I thought he moved great when the fight started the way he changed levels and went in for that takedown was, was perfectly timed. Um, and um, you know, anybody can catch a shot. I'm not trying to take anything away from Reyes either. I mean, you know, the only reason he's calling for a title shot is because if you look at everyone ranked above him, either somebody's out for recouping from an injury or a surgery or something. So, I mean, well, who else is, I mean, they obviously want to move John Jones up to heavyweight or whatever they want to do, but, or make the Adesanya Jones super fight because who the hell cares about rankings anyway now? So. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to take anything away from <laughs> yeah. Reyes. Reyes goes to 12 and 0, and he did he did what he had to do. Um, and I don't blame him for calling out title shot. And perhaps um, he's next in line at, at yeah. light heavyweight. I I don't. Uh, he just doesn't excite me per se um, in that division. And maybe it's because Jones has been so dominant that I just feel like it's another. Uh, I don't want to say it's a walkover for Jones because Jones could very well lose that fight, and he hasn't looked great lately. But uh, there's just I feel like it might be better if if Jones actually is able to go up to heavyweight for a fight or two and allow the, these light heavyweights to kind of uh, create that real uh, buzz uh, behind mm. one of them, um, whether it's Anthony Smith again, whether it's Reyes, whoever can kind of uh, maybe go through a little bit of a tournament here and knock some other guys off and and really get really get a buzz going before they fight Jones. So that's my only thing there. Um but yeah, that kind of transitions us right into what happened uh, Saturday night when you talk about not hanging stuff up. Yeah, um, that's that's pretty much what the bare knuckle fighting championship <laughs> is all about. Um, and uh, this week uh, weekend's card was no different. Yeah, I mean, I know that sounds disrespectful, but I mean, it's funny. I think I just read something like that too. Well, you just yeah, said- <laughs> I, I mean, you know, Antonio Silva, Gabriel Gonzaga headlines the card. Uh, Silva's looked terrible lately. Uh, takes a lot of shots. Uh, his size is almost a detriment now because he's just got a gigantic head that's just there to seems like to punch, <laughs> and and he just doesn't have the speed or the uh, I don't know uh, what it is. But Gonzaga looked good. Um, if we're if we're gonna break down the fights, Gonzaga looked good. 
Um, had some good movement. His punching looked good. I mean, Gonzaga's not known necessarily for his striking at all. Um, I pretty much hope Silva, this is the last uh, hurrah for him. I know it won't be. Um, I made a joke about him versus Hong Man Choi, um, <laughs> and that might be the fight that, I don't know. That's the that's a uh, a rising fight right there. So yeah, <laughs> uh, two two guys who uh, at one point were giants of the sport, and now neither of them really can take a punch all that well. Um, not yeah. sure. There's no real you know. There's no real path for any of these guys. So I don't know what that means for Gonzaga. Um, one guy in the co-main event, uh, Jim Allers, who who also uh, is a former MMA fighter. He fought Julian Lane. Um, and, and dominated him. Ehlers came off of like a 22nd knockout of uh, Leonard Garcia in the, in the previous BKFC. So he seems like somebody who's actually legitimate in this sport. Um, somebody who, uh, if there's going to be a star or going to be somebody who can kind of make a career out of this mm. um, so far, it seems like him. Um, obviously that can change um, overnight uh, depending on, depending on how uh, a fight goes. I mean, a, a brutal enough fight in bare knuckle it will take some, some time off your days, but um, he's three and zero in the, in the, in it now um, all knockouts. Uh, I believe the lane fight was a first round knockout, um, but uh, that would mean three first round finishes and he swings hard and uh, hasn't suffered any damage. So uh, he's one of the guys that, uh, that could potentially, you know, make some noise and, and perhaps become kind of the face of uh, uh, the BKFC. That's not just a legendary washed up MMA fighter at this point. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, they have to start building their own guys rather than pulling fighters from other sports and trying to, trying to, you know, market these rivalry like the, you know, after the, the Malinaji Lobov thing, you know, it seems like uh, it's like what now? What are you going to do next? You know, so that's a that's a good point. I mean, if he's a guy, then they should definitely uh, focus on him and putting together fights uh, with other guys that that make sense to to put eyes on eye, eyeballs on the uh, fight TV pay per views that or whatever it is they're they're putting them out through now. Um, but, yeah, um, I mean, I mean, I know Knight and Lobov got a rematch coming up, but just looking yeah. through Eller's record, Jason Knight actually. Uh, beat uh Ellers in a uh in UFC in um in 2016 so that's potentially some kind of a, a redemption fight and something they can kind of uh go off of to build that fight if they want to want to go that route but um but yeah so that was that I know their next event like I said is uh is uh, actually uh is Chase Sherman and Joey Beltran uh, crazy horse Bennett's on the card. So they, they, <laughs> that's always fun. <laughs> and, and then Lobov and, uh, Lobov and Knight, uh, two, uh, in the main event. I doubt it lives up to what we saw in their first fight as far as just the back and forth bloodbath, but, uh, but you never know. With that said, uh, you've got a busy week ahead of you now, huh? So yeah. you're, uh, you'll be traveling out to Connecticut to, uh, cover the, uh, Bellator Friday, Saturday night doubleheader. Yeah, man, uh, it's uh, another doubleheader in Mohegan Sun. Always a good time covering events there and running into uh, all the other media guys that uh, are out here in the Northeast. Um, uh, the doubleheader main event 231 is Frank Mir and Roy Nelson. And, um, you know, there's uh, we were just talking before we started recording. Uh, you mentioned in BKFC, uh, Beck Rollins, wasn't she there like uh, 
Wasn't she their their champion in for in the females? And it, I just thought that was odd that she would walk away from that to do uh to go back to MMA. I, I mean, I'm assuming that she's got a deal worked out with both. Um, I mm. mean, that would be my guess uh, that she's just doing this because uh, perhaps her confidence is at a, at a higher level now, and she wants to make a run again at MMA. But I would assume, yeah, she is the champion, the, the female champion uh, of BKFC. So I would assume that uh, unless some... they're unless they're lowballing her heavily, that that she, she's just going to be doing both of them. Yeah. So um, anyway, yeah. So, but the main event, she's not, she's actually on the card. She's facing uh, Alara Joanne on uh, on that two thirty one card that's headlined by Frank Me and Roy Nelson. But mixed reactions on that main event. Uh, what did you think about? What was your initial reaction with the Mir Nelson uh, booking? I know I know they face each other in grappling, and I forgot who won their uh, uh, there. It was either Naga or Grappler's Quest or something like that back way back when. Um, they fought so, UFC too. Yeah, yeah. So and, it's uh, not something. And, Go ahead. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Mir, uh, Mir tore him up in uh, at UFC 130. Uh, it was a decision, but he dominated uh, the whole fight. Um, but that was pretty fairly prime Mir, um, you know, at, at that time when he was trying to work up for another uh, title shot. Um, I, I don't know. I, I uh, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, geez, here, here we go again. But I didn't realize it was the, the first night of a doubleheader. So it being a doubleheader event, it's not like we don't have that great fight the next night to kind of mm-hmm. – I just kind of look at it as like a 20-fight card or a 25-fight card. <laughs> uh, half of it's Friday night, and then it finishes on, on Saturday. So, I mean, that's that's kind of what it is to me. Um, the other – you know, the Phil Davis, uh, Carl Albrechtson's fight, it, I find interesting. Albrechtson uh, yeah, comes from Ryzen. That. I wasn't even aware he had really signed with Bellator, so that was a pleasant surprise seeing that. Uh, Ed Roos on the card. Uh, Jack Hager makes his return against Anthony Garrett. Um, uh, so that's that's a, it's a solid main card. It, there could be some exciting fights there. Um, as far as the main event goes, uh, I have a hard time picking Frank Mir to win any fights anymore these days. Um, I feel like he's he's takes big shots. Um, and I don't know if his grappling is still there. Um, I haven't really seen. I know he he did well with uh, Ayala before Ayala finished him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was able to take down Ayala, but I don't think he'll be able to do that to Nelson. Um, I don't expect a real exciting fight. Uh, in fact, I probably would say Nelson by decision. If there is any excitement, it would be Nelson by knockout. Mm. That's about the best I can give on that. I, I don't I don't see Mir winning winning this fight unless he. Uh, I I really don't I don't think he can submit Nelson and I don't know if he can hold him down uh, for three rounds before he takes him, eventually gets hit. Yeah, like I said, I mean they've they've definitely grappled each other before and I don't remember the outcome. So even if it goes to the ground, it it could be. I mean a lot of people, you know, they 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 look at Nelson's physique and stuff and and shake off that the fact that he has a black belt in jujitsu himself and and uh, you know knows how to handle submission, you know, the whole submission game when it goes to the ground. So. Um, you know what? Like, I mean, I can't, I don't think I can disagree with you. Like, uh, I mean, mirror, mirror, like that fight with Ayala is weird because, uh, you know, the whole thing stopped because of, you know, that whole thing with his mouthpiece and he didn't want to lose. I don't, I don't blame any, any fighter for not wanting to lose their teeth or get their jaw or face broken or anything like that. So, um, that was a weird loss to me too. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's weird that we're talking about it too. We just finished talking about, uh, you know, fighters not knowing when to stop and stuff like that. And, uh, 
and I, I don't like seeing them fight longer than they should, but I also I I like seeing them win when they win, you know? So um yeah, I mean I, I'm I'm gonna side with you on that one for uh, two thirty one. Yeah, but then the real action happens the next night on Saturday. Um, looking at that card, there's some uh, potential hard-hitting action. Um, looks like the main card's going to open up with uh, Vitaly Minikov fighting Javi Ayala, a fight that was supposed to happen, uh, what, two, two, three months ago at this point now. Uh, Tim Johnson ended up stepping in for Ayala the day of the fight um, when Ayala came up sick. So looks like that's rebooked for Saturday. I mm-hmm. um I think Minikov's still the real deal. I know he had that loss, that controversial loss to Congo, uh, but I still see him as a uh, a real threat to Bader at heavyweight and and potentially the the real Bellator heavyweight champion. Um, not to take anything away from Ryan Bader, but um, until Bader really defends that title a couple times, I still think of him as a light heavyweight. Um, so uh, I, I think Minikov wins by knockout over Ayala. Um, but Ayala obviously is a hard hitter who took care of Karatanov in a matter of seconds. So if he hits you, you're in big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I, I say, uh, I, I'd say Minikov's probably the favorite to win for me too, but, uh, I would not be surprised if Ayala, you know, uh, caught him with something that, that ended the fight early. So, uh, I'm picking Minikov as well. Um, it's going to yeah, be Nick. Nick- I was supposed to say, it's going to be Nick Newells. I mean, he's always at these events, just folks that don't know. I mean, he, he's there supporting somebody, either cornering someone or just supporting the fan base and the sport. So uh, expect a big pop when uh, Nick Newell faces uh, Manny Morrow uh, on that Saturday night card. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, he's he's the the one uh, armed fighter, one handed fighter um, that uh, that's basically had a, a career of winning fights, um, lost to Justin Gaethje in uh, World Series of Fighting. And then he lost uh, on the uh, on the contender series, series. Yeah. which was basically what stopped him from going to UFC. But Bellator signed him. He had a great showing in his debut for them uh, last time they were in Connecticut, and uh, now he gets a main card fight. So I think it's good for him. Um, you know, one of the, I think the very first show we did, we t- uh, when we were talking to Corey Turner, there was a, there was some talk where I had mentioned that um, I always had this fear about it not looking good, but I think we're kind of beyond that at this point. Um, you know, obviously, if he ever gets on the wrong end of a highlight reel KO, that won't necessarily be the greatest thing in the world. But um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he's earned every every bit he's got, and mm-hmm. uh, glad, glad to see him on a main card. So uh, good for him. And uh, like I said, the, you know, you got Minikov, Newell, uh, Robin Van Roosmalen, who is a Glory uh, champion, um, just kind of new to the MMA game, two and zero, hard hitter again. Uh, could be a fireworks. And then the co-main event, Paul Daly uh, against Homasi. Uh, I think feel like this fight's kind of set up for Paul Daly to, uh, to get a highlight reel. And uh, perhaps I, I mean, it makes sense to me to set up a rematch with Lorenz Larkin, uh, which, uh, which would be another good fight. And, you know, I know fight Larkin would like, so yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, and then, and then the main event, which, uh, you know, arguably is, is, uh, is for the, the world championship at, at, uh, at 170 Walter Wade. I mean, yeah. uh, no matter what, how we talk about it, Rory McDonald, Douglas Lima fall somewhere in the, uh, there, I mean, they clearly fall somewhere in the top 10 and, 
when you start mixing all the guys around the Covingtons, the Usmans, the Woodleys, um, and, and all the other guys, uh, in that mix, they all on any given night, I feel like it's just kind of a lottery on who, uh, on who could be claimed the, the best. Um, I feel like Douglas Lima, uh, kind of let the other, the previous fight against Rory kind of slip away, mm-hmm. uh, in a very close decision loss. Uh, McDonald's had kind of some ups and downs. Didn't look great against Fitch, but looked outstanding against Gracie. Um, and, and then Lima uh, coming off of his knockout win of, uh, of MVP. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, it's a great fight. I, I'm going to go with Lima. Um, I'm a Lima fan. Uh, not that I'm not a fan of Rory, but uh, I would love to see Douglas Lima pull this off. And I feel like he's kind of, uh, peaking a little bit here i know he was a previous champion and uh but i feel like he's really kind of come into his own and uh his level of confidence right now might uh might be enough to especially having already competed against mcdonald i feel like he's gonna maybe know what to expect i don't know if he'll get i don't think he'll get taken down as easy as he did some of those times by rory and yeah uh, I, I think lima can win this fight on the feet yeah and i think the last time i checked um i think they had uh mcdonald as the underdog for this matchup when i look at the odds um i don't know if that's because of questioning his um his focus as far as because of the stuff that he said between the gracie and the the fitch fight when he was talking about where it seemed like he he wasn't in it anymore as far as interested in fighting but i mean a million dollars on the line could change that you never know so um yeah i think it's we're up for we're we're expecting a scrap um, I, I, I can't disagree with you on the Lima thing, man. I, I feel like he's definitely coming into, uh, uh, losing the, like you said, the, the, the having fought him before, I think that's definitely going to have a play a big role in preparation. So, whereas he's not going to make the same mistakes again. So, which is probably why McDonald's the under underdog. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, he's probably coming with the thunder, uh, uh, maybe a decision win. That's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a great night of action. I know you're gonna be. Uh, you're gonna be swamped between media weigh-ins and and the fights themselves. But uh, yeah, and I gotta I gotta put stuff up and upload the video. I, I think I'm doing the play-by-play on MMA. So I'm covering it for MMAnews.com. If anybody reads my stuff there or follows the site, that's where you'll see all the stuff, uh, interviews and everything posted. Um, and uh, but um, yeah. Uh, so. I don't think they're going to give me access to their Twitter. So I'll, I'll probably be tweeting live tweeting from my account. Any, any breaking news that happens between anything. So folks that follow the podcast and, and, uh, and us on, on social can uh, follow me on Twitter for that. So when you're probably going to bed on uh, late Friday night, early Saturday <laughs> morning, I'll probably be waking up to watch uh, some of the UFC card from Singapore. Um, not the best card in the world. It's a typical kind of uh, middle of the night card, but, uh, an interesting main event between Damian Maya and Ben Askren. Uh, Askren obviously coming off that embarrassing loss to, to Jorge Masvidal mm-hmm. uh, and, and Maya. Um, I believe he's coming off of a win, if I remember right. Yes, coming off of actually back-to-back wins um, after a tough run against wrestlers Woodley Covington and Usman. Um, interestingly enough, before that skid, he, he beat Jorge Masvidal to actually get his title shot. So, um this brings an interesting fight because uh, Maya always has issues 
getting wrestlers down to the ground. So obviously I don't see Maya getting the takedown. It kind of goes back to what we talked about last week about um, Brazilian, you know, he's kind of one of those Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys who never really developed. And I, I shouldn't say that he's got, he's had some extremely good takedowns in his UFC career. Uh, uh, Chael in. Uh, I mean, just some, some spectacular stuff and he's, and he's had an amazing career, but lately he's had trouble with guys who are just, you know, really strong wrestlers, um, mm-hmm. which obviously what Askren is um, historically, those guys, the Covingtons, the Woodleys and the Usmans have been able to meet, beat Maya on the feet yeah. um, at that point where Askren really has never done that in any of his <laughs> MMA fights. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I'm really curious to see how this unfolds. Um, I mean, if you told me they were having a K1 bout, it would have a hard time not picking Maya. We have seen Maya yeah. have some decent striking. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so it brings really interesting. If Maya starts hitting Askren up um, on the feet a little bit, um, if uh, it, it'll be interesting to see somebody trying to take down uh, Damian Maya. Yeah. Um, with all that said, I'm going to pick Askren by decision here. Um, I, and he hasn't been submitted yet. Obviously he got knocked out by that flying knee yeah. seconds in, into that fight. Um, but I kind of chalk that up to like shit happens in MMA. So until I see him kind of really get dominated mm-hmm. or get, you know, he might fall, he might fall into a flying arm bar. The God, seven seconds in this fight we might say a flying arm bar but uh but until i i see askren really get beat in a fight where as where he's you know where it's a real fight it breaks out um i got i'm gonna go with him uh but it wouldn't surprise me in the least bit to see maya get a guillotine choke or uh a triangle or uh you know he doesn't never use the ankle lock but any, I could see him grabbing a limb in some kind of scramble with Askren. Yeah, um, it wouldn't shock me in the least bit. Well, I mean, it's weird when it's a grappler. You know, with striker versus grappler, you, you have to look at who's better at what when you pick a fight like that. But this is uh, this is obviously a grappler versus grappler or submission grappler. And um, I mean, my my take is, I mean, when this that type of matchup. Going back to what you said, I mean, you call it uh, with the K1 joke you made, but that actually holds some, so holds some water in my opinion because I think if I'm Damian Maya and seeing what I've seen of of uh, Askren's career, um, I'm gonna try to tag this guy up because he's not that good at blocking punches or anything like that. I mean, it's it's he's it's even shown in his warm-ups when he does his open workouts where the guy's holding pads and throwing counters back at him and he's letting the guy hit him in the head. So it's like if I'm if I'm Damian Maya, is it maybe maybe don't grapple with this guy and just try to knock him out? Um, but because uh, Askren commented on, I'm not I, I don't think a sloppy takedown is going to be smart against a guy like Damian Maya. So as far as their grappling pedigrees are concerned, I think if, if Askren does get the takedown, which we know he's probably going to go for it, um, if he gets the takedown and and ask uh, he can survive submission attempts from Maya off his back in the first round, then we're looking at an, an Askren decision, uh, you know, because the sweat and everything will play a factor after that. Um, but uh, if, if, if Maya does decide to let, let me, let me act like I'm in K one since I'm, I'm the better striker, let me act like I'm, I'm you know, uh, <clears throat> a kickboxer or something. And uh, just 
maybe he's drilling takedown defense and stuff like that. Um, being that he has shared the, the cage with uh, other wrestlers, you know, maybe he can uh, use some strikes to, to defend takedowns, throw up some knees, since obviously that just seems to be a hole in Askren's game, and, uh, you know, tag him up and win, win maybe by decision on, on striking him, maybe not knocking him out, but, but just decision because of significant strikes and damage and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, uh, if, if I was to put money... I would say, uh, I mean, Askren by decision, but obviously he's this Ben Askren is not the Ben Askren from uh, Bellator and one, so we'll see. It's 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 definitely going to be an interesting Saturday. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I think that's still uh, to kind of be determined what what where Ben Askren's at. Um, you know, I, I think I, like I said, the last fight to me kind of just chalked that up to to things that happened. The, the uh, Lawler fight obviously had his positives and his negatives in that fight. Uh, but Lawler's a savage too. So, um, you know, is he the best in the world? Probably not. Is he still a top five to eight in the world? I would say it's still probably fairly likely. So, um, it'll be interesting to see though, this stylistic matchup, uh, could be real exciting. It could be real boring. So, uh, That'll be interesting. A couple other names of note on the card. Michael Johnson fights. Benil Dariush. Um, I've been doing some workouts out at uh, Dan Henderson's gym. So special shout out to to one of my uh, coaches, uh, Ashley Yoder. Uh, she fights that night against Randa Marcos. Uh, a late minute replacement uh, is Marcos in that fight. So uh, wish her the best of luck. Um, wish you the best of travels, man. Uh <laughs> Fans can always follow us at Combat Hour on Twitter, Coast to Coast Combat Hour on Instagram, myself at MMAHawk21 on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Ed at Carbazal on Twitter, at Carbeerzal on Instagram. Again, man, travel safe and uh, look forward to talking uh, to you about all your, uh, your wild uh, adventures out there in Connecticut. Yes, sir. Thanks a lot. Uh, buy, buy Nolan a, uh, a Krispy Kreme <laughs> for me. I will if if he's allowed. He, you know, he he he's a, he's a MMA junkies boy now. So we'll see. He does say hi all the time though. I'm not, not shout out to Nolan. He's he's a good kid. I mean, definitely follow his stuff. So, well, I mean, to be fair, I don't think any of the MMA junkie guys are really strangers to Krispy Kremes. If we're, uh... well, <laughs> I, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> all right, with that, we're closing it out. <laughs> Hey guys, Ed here, East Coast side of the Coast to Coast Combat Hour podcast. If you like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe on YouTube and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, if you'd like to help us out and donate, uh, the support links are in any of the uh, podcast descriptions and some the links are also provided on our YouTube channel, The Blogboard Jungle. Um, thanks again for listening. And if you give us some support, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast, maybe... Uh, bring you on for a UFC pay-per-view breakdown or two. Thanks again.